Holy Spirit. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. And Jesus said, To what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And at that time, Jesus said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take that as my text, or the first part of it anyway, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and 25 through 27. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 970. Page 970. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, and beginning at verse 16. What Jesus seems to be saying in our text, amongst other things, is that truth is not enough. That truth is not enough. The presence of truth, the presentation of truth, truth itself is not enough. Indeed, truth itself can be and often is rejected. And that's what Jesus is talking about in our text, verses 16 through 19. In fact, notice that again. Verses 16 through 19. But to what shall I compare this generation, Jesus says. This generation is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. And we sang a dirge, a funeral song, and you did not mourn. And Jesus continues, for John, that is John the Baptist, neither came eating or drinking, And they say about him, the people of my generation, he has a demon. And the Son of Man, referring to himself, came eating and drinking. And they say of him, look at him, a a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, and yet, wisdom is justified by her deeds. 
And so Jesus says, to what shall I compare this generation? That is the people of his own day, those that he taught, people who saw him, people who heard him teach, people who saw him perform miracles, and those who had been exposed to John's ministry, John the Baptist, in the Jordan River Valley. That's the generation he's talking about. It's interesting, you know, people will say, uh, you know, if I had only been there. In, in, in all likelihood, if you had been there, you would have responded in the same way that they responded. <laughs> Seeing is not necessarily believing. And then Jesus offers this parable to describe the people. He says, this generation is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to their playmates. Now, this would have been a common scene in Jesus' day at the Agora, the marketplace, which served as sort of a, a, a had a multi-purpose multi, uh, uh, um, intent. Uh, sometimes uh, judges would be there and, and court cases would be, would be heard and, and settled. And people would buy their, what we would say, go grocery shopping. And people would go there maybe to have a discussion or maybe a debate. Someone would stand maybe and make some kind of a speech. And while the parents are out doing something, then the children would be running around and playing with one another. I'll see you at the Agora! <laughs> and then they come and they do like what we used to do when we were kids, you know, play games of make-believe. I remember when I was a kid, I must, have, I must have been eight or nine, one of my cousins was over. We spent the whole week in a tent in the backyard that we made with the bedspread. I don't, that doesn't happen much anymore, but, um, but here they're playing make-believe. And so they're playing and so forth, and, and Jesus says, this generation is like those kids, and like the things that they do. And so he says, this generation is like children sitting in the marketplace, and they're calling to their playmates, and one, one group is complaining to the others. And one group says, we played the flute for you. They probably said, hey, you know what? Let's play wedding. Let's play wedding. And uh, we used to play store all the time. My grandmother, when we were kids, bought us an a old cash register at a flea market. Man, did we have a good time with that. I think she paid 30 bucks for it. That was a good investment. We played the flute for you like a, like a song that would be played at a wedding to, to get everybody happy and dancing. But you didn't dance. And then we thought, okay, well, if that doesn't work, let's play funeral. And so we, we sang a dirge, a lament, like what would be sung at a funeral. But you didn't mourn. The point being that the tune played and the lament that was sung never received its, its proper response. And by and large, this is the kind of reception Jesus is saying that the, that the truth gets. Even when it's God's chosen messengers that he sends to declare it. And so Jesus continues in verse 18, and he says, For John came neither eating nor drinking. And this is sort of interesting, because the description is true, and, and what, what it seems to point out amongst other things is the fickleness of those who hear. No matter how it's served up, they don't like it. 
And so Jesus said, John came neither eating nor drinking, and that was true. I mean, John was an ascetic. He lived out in the wilderness. Uh, he had rough clothing of garments, of, a garment of, made from camel hair. Can you imagine how itchy that might have been? And held around his body with a rough leather belt. And his food was locusts and honey, the sorts of things that he could find out in the wilderness because he didn't go to the agora. He didn't go shopping. He ate what was available to him in the desert. And he was God's servant. God's messenger. And he proclaimed the truth of God on God's behalf. In fact, in this same 11th chapter, Jesus talks about John. In fact, that's why he's talking about him. Here, he talks, mentions him here because he, he's been talking about him. In fact, if you want to just look up Matthew 11, it's right there on your page there. And beginning at verse 7, and Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And he asked them, what did you go out into the wilderness to see when you went to go see John? Did you expect to see a reed shaken by the wind? Someone you could push around? <laughs> Did you, go out, did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear clothing like that are in king's houses. And so what did you go out to see? A prophet? Jesus says, and yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there is no one risen ever greater than John the Baptist. And so John sang his dirge. <laughs> his message was a hard one. He was basically the sound of a warning. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he proclaimed God's truth, but few responded in an appropriate way. He sang his dirge, but few people mourned. <laughs> because truth itself is not enough. Indeed, Jesus says that John came neither eating nor drinking, and, and they say of him, he's demon-possessed. They denounce him. God sends his messenger, and that's what they do with him. You don't come from God. You know, what you, you know why you're the way you are? Because you're filled with demons. And then Jesus says, and the Son of Man, referring to himself. Well, he came in a very different way. He didn't sing a dirge. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, like what you would see at a wedding. He wasn't an ascetic. He went to dinner parties. He went to weddings. When he went to the wedding at Cana, he turned the water into wine and said, Have some more. Enjoy yourselves. It's on me. He played the song of joy. He played the flute that those who were within earshot of his kingdom message might dance for joy. And danced to his tune. But few did. Because the truth itself, even when it's a happy one, a happy message, isn't enough. 
Indeed, Jesus says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say about him, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of spotty people, tax collectors and sinners. And yet, Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Indeed, both Jesus and John carried out the ministries that God gave them to do. They were wise. They were obedient. They enjoyed a right standing before God whether anyone else recognized it or not. They spoke the truth. But the truth itself is not enough. And so the truth itself is not enough. And that because truth itself can be and often is rejected. Indeed, true knowledge of God is not just a thing presented, but it is a thing revealed. Not just a thing presented, but a thing revealed. Indeed, notice again Jesus' words in verses 25 through 27. And at that time, Jesus declared, in fact, he, he, it was a public prayer. And Jesus did this sometimes, you remember, in John chapter 11, he did this. He, 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 made a, he prayed privately. In fact, what he had said to God the Father is, give Lazarus life. And then he said, now Lord, I'm saying this on their behalf so that they know that I'm your son and that you have given power to me to do all things. And then he turned to the tomb where they had rolled the stone of the way and he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus could obey because previously Jesus had prayed and give him life, Lord. So when Jesus said, come out, he was alive. But here's another example of Jesus praying publicly. And at that time, verse 25, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that, which is an interesting combination of expressions. You're, the, you're my Father, and yet you are the sovereign Lord of the universe. In fact, that's the God who you serve, which is something to keep in mind when you're having a problem or you're in need. He's the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and can do anything you need because he's not only willing to help, he's able to help. But Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. I like what the way that Peterson puts it in the message, the know-it-alls. <laughs> you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, the know-it-alls, and you have revealed them to children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, your gracious desire. And all things, now he's no longer praying, and all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows me. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except me, the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And so Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding are people who count themselves as such. And as the case would be, as we reject the truth of God, we know better than God. 
We know better than Christ. We know better, better than John, which is true for many today, as was even in Jesus' own generation. From these, the truth is hidden, ironically. But the truth is revealed, Jesus says, to those whom Jesus calls little children. I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember th that the way in which children were looked upon and it probably was maybe even a little bit more austere in generations before, but I, I remember hearing things like children are to be seen and not heard. In fact, I, as, a, as a child, I just couldn't wait to get big. <laughs> I couldn't wait to get big. That's all I wanted to do was to get big. I was tired of being told that I was to be seen and not heard, and I was tired of being said, you're not old enough. You're not old enough. You're not old enough. You're not old enough. Oh, you'll understand when you're older. <laughs> Why don't you explain it to me now? Because I'm as frustrated as you know what. <laughs> and so the children are, nobody pays any attention to children. You're just, in fact, in an agrarian society, in an, in an, in an, in an, ancient, in an ancient time, uh, you're just waiting for those kids to grow up so they're big enough to work on the farm. In the meantime, they're a bit of a nuisance. But these are the but this is the this is the the metaphor for those that, that God reveals himself. He reveals himself not to those who are the know-it-alls, he reveals himself to children or people who have the characteristics of the childlike. That's the way God works. It's something that you see all around in the New Testament. In fact, in the same uh, Gospel of Matthew, we read in the 18th chapter, and you're familiar with this, I, I suppose. Romans 18, or excuse me, Matthew 18, beginning at verse 1, and we read, And at that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now this was interesting because they were constantly arguing amongst themselves who was the greatest. And I think they're probably were think thinking that Jesus would say, Well, James is going to be greatest. Or Peter was thinking, nah, he'll pick me. But notice what Jesus says, verse 2. And calling to him a child. Well, this, this is going in the wrong direction, at least for the disciples. And calling to him a child, he put the child in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter. Forget about who's the greatest in the kingdom. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Or Paul writing to the Corinthians and heading in a similar direction and explaining divine truth in similar language though expanded. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, he's talking to these believers at Corinth, and he said, consider your calling, your, your calling to God, brothers and sisters, that not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. You, not many philosophers professionally trained amongst you. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful people. 
Not many of noble birth, of royal royalty. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. That's God's choice. God chose the foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. When, you, when I read that, I think of the description of the coming Messiah, the suffering servant, Jesus himself. And Isaiah says, he was a man despised and rejected. A man of sorrow acquainted with grief. My chosen, my servant. But God chose the foolish of this world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak of this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In fact, all of those who are truly converted, they have one song to sing, and that is, God is great! <laughs> because if it wasn't for Him, because I added nothing to this, for we're saved by grace, through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, lest any should boast. And so it's to these, to the humble, the trusting, those that the world might describe as weak and of no account, even as Jesus himself was so described. It is to these, the humble, the trusting, those whom the world might describe as weak and of no account, to these God reveals himself. And Jesus is a revealer too. Indeed, notice verse 27. And all things have been handed over to me, Jesus said, by my Father. Everything. He gives it all to me. And no one knows me. Not in any kind of real way. In, in fact, the word, the word is an intensified, intensified term for the word know. Gnosko means to know. Epigonosko means to know intimately. To know not, by, not because it's a fact and it's something that, to which you give mental assent. Epigonosco means you know because you know it by experience. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows me like that. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. I'm the one. He knows me, and I know Him, and that's it. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal And so if you know the Father and you know God, it's not because somebody presented information to you, never mind however true it was. You know and you respond. You dance to the flute and you mourn to the dirge because that truth and the person of God himself has been revealed to you. And so divine revelation is indispensable to the proper response of divine truth. Because truth itself is not enough.
in this same Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 16, a very familiar scene for faithful churchgoers. In Matthew 16 and verse 13, we read, and, and Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? You remember that, right? Who do people say that I am? He says to his disciples. While they're on retreat up in the north, even north of the Sea of Galilee, just within the shadows of Mount Hermon on the borders of what is now Lebanon. Jesus came there and he said to them, who do people say that I, I am? The, the Son of Man is. And, and uh, they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. And that was, uh, people believed that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead because Herod had killed John. And then Jesus does these uh, miracles and they said, well, that must be John risen from the dead. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, which was a great miracle-working prophet. Others say uh, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus said to them, and who do you say that I am? Thank you for the report. Now what do you say? And Simon Peter replied, verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of John, Simon Johnson. We would have called him Simon Johnson. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal it. You didn't come to that on your own, and nobody told you to open that up to you. But rather, my Father who is in heaven. You know that, Peter. Because my Father revealed it to you. And so that's when the penny drops. When the Father reveals it to you. That's when conversion takes place. That's when all things begin to become new. When God shows us what we could never see for ourselves. Even when truth was standing right in front of us. For without God, God's truth remains hidden because truth itself is not enough. Let us pray. And so reveal yourself to us, Lord. Pull us out of the darkness and into the light that we might see you and your Son in all of his kingdom glory. That the tune that he plays is so compelling that we can't help but dance and do it in a way as if no one were watching. Open our ears to hear, not that it should just go in one ear and out the other, but in our ear and deep into our heart that the truth that we hear, as you have opened it up to us, makes all things new and sets us free. It's your sovereign will and your sovereign grace that makes these things happen. But even in our weakness, we pray, Lord, do it to us 
Do it to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.